Gospel of John, chapter 13. Look at the first couple of paragraphs this morning. You might want to put your finger there, turn over to the Gospel of Matthew, the 20th chapter. We'll look at that uh, briefly as well. I want to thank our worship team for leading us in a time of worship. Uh, The message of the songs is so very, very relevant to what I believe the Lord wants to teach us this morning. As I studied the scripture that God had assigned to us today, um, I want you to know that my personal experience was one of great conviction. I was convicted by uh, his words. Um, Conviction uh, is a work of the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer, everyone who has Faith in Jesus for forgiveness um, has the, the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And conviction is when the Holy Spirit who indwells me reveals to me areas or an area of my life that he wants to change. I pray that you might find this passage of Scripture convicting as well. I pray that the Holy Spirit who indwells you might reveal to you areas of your life where he wants to do a work. None of us have arrived, right? We will be being changed by him until the day that we die. This passage of Scripture reminds me that we don't do things the way God does them. It reminds me that God's ways are not like our ways. John chapter 10 and verse 10, those of you who know me know that this is one of my very favorite passages of Scripture. It says, Jesus is talking, the thief comes to kill and to steal, but I, Jesus says, have come that you might, ha- that you might have life that it might be abundant, that it might be meaningful. That's a passage of Scripture that is very easy for us to misinterpret when Jesus talks about coming to give us life and that that life would be abundant, that that life would be meaningful. I want you to know this morning that it's not God's priority to make our lives easier. It's not his priority to make us more comfortable. It's not his priority, his involvement in our life, so that we might find things more convenient or so that he might shower us with material possessions. That's not a big priority to him. So what does he mean when he says, I came to give you a life that is that is meaningful, that is satisfying. I came to give you a life that is abundant. As I wrestled with that question this past week, it reminded me of one of the members here at our church named Tom Scatta. Tom sent an email to Pastor Jim and myself reminding us of what is happening in the country of Syria today. And he cited a specific family, a Christian family that lives in Syria. And Christians in Syria are under great attack. 
kind of persecution that they are experiencing there, we know nothing of. This is a Christian family that, that had an opportunity to be exiled from Syria, to leave Syria and go to a place that was safer. But this is a, a family that said, Lord, we really believe you want us to stay here so that we might continue to teach other Christians here and that we, we might continue to be an encouragement to them and that we might even be a witness to the Muslims who live here all around us. That we might tell them that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and no one gets to heaven except through Him. This is a family who made that decision, but when they made that decision, they had to also take account this husband and wife, this father and mother, were forced to sit down with their little son and their little daughter and say to them, we've got to tell you the reality of our lives. We've got to tell you that it may be that one night, while we're all asleep as a family, some bad guys will come into our house. And you need to understand that they'll have with them swords. And they will do everything that they can to make us reject Jesus as our Savior, to renounce Him. We want you to know that it's going to be dirty and it's going to be ugly and it's going to be bloody. But we have a God who is faithful. And even if you see your mom and dad killed right in front of your eyes and they turn to you with their swords all bloodied and they say to you, renounce Jesus as your Savior, we don't want you to say anything. Just be silent. Just think about Jesus and how much He loves you and think about a God who is really in control. This is a conversation that these, this mom and dad had with their children. I want you to consider their circumstance and then I want you to ask yourself this question. If I were to go to Syria and I would sit in the living room of this family, how do I interpret John 10.10 10 to them? How do I interpret Jesus said, I came that you might have life, that it might be abundant, that it might be full, that it might be meaningful. In that context, you have to agree with me, don't you, that Jesus is not talking about the physical, He's talking about the spiritual. Don't you have to agree with me that Jesus is not talking about circumstances, that He's talking about something that takes place within us, where the Holy Spirit resides, an abundance that cannot be described, a meaning that cannot be described. I don't know what else I would say to this family who has given up everything and faces death because of their faith, other than to tell them Jesus said that He would give you eternal life, that He would give you an abundant life, a meaningful life, and that is experienced in our intimate relationship with Him. We need to pray for martyrs. I wonder how many will die on this very day because of their faith in Jesus Christ. I think of well, as well of uh, Michael Wicker, who is in our service this morning, son of Mike and Helen Wicker. Michael is... Um, Earned a degree from Florida State University in engineering. That means he could work for anybody in the United States that he wants to. You see what I did there? 
It's the FSU degree that opens doors. <laughs> Michael chose not to take that route. He said, God, I give myself away so you can use me. What do you want me to do? God said, I want you to go to Iraq. And I want you to use your giftedness and I want you to use what you've learned in engineering to provide for people there clean water. So it was just a little less than a year ago that Michael came to the men's ministry breakfast and he shared with us what God wanted him to do. And he, he was in one of our services just before he left and, and we prayed for him and told him that we weren't going to forget about him. And Michael takes his degree in engineering and goes to Iraq to dig wells and to aquifers and I don't know what else. I'm glad that he's home on a short, short vacation before he goes back to Iraq and I'm glad that he's here with us this morning and Michael, I want you to stand up so we can give you a little encouragement. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for the way you serve, and thank you for the example that you are. I think about Tom, I think about Syria, I think about Michael, I think about Iraq, and it reminds me that God's ways are not like our ways. It reminds me of a passage of Scripture over in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus is at the very end of his ministry. He's going to be setting up his kingdom, the disciples have learned. They begin to argue among themselves which one will have the greatest position of authority, which one will have the most responsibility, which one will be the closest to the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus. Two of the guys, James and John, send their mommy to talk to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want? Mommy says, hey, how about letting my two sons, one sit on your right and one sit on your left after you've set up your kingdom? The other ten disciples got a little ticked off about that. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 24 of Matthew 20, when the ten heard what had been done, they were indignant at the two brothers. I think indignant is being really, really nice. Verse 25, Jesus called them, the disciples, to himself, and he said, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. It's not the way we do it. But God's ways are not our ways. He reminds them in verse 28, even the Son of Man, even Jesus, even the Savior, even the King came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. No one took his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. But he chose instead to serve rather than being served. As moms and dads, many of you here in this auditorium, you can relate. We spend a lot of time teaching our children. We, we want them to understand life and we, we teach them and we ask them to be diligent and we ask them to be disciplined to the, to the things that we have talked 
taught them and we, we try to teach them what is applicable in their life and this is how to make this truth a part of who you are. We, we do that, we sacrifice, we teach them because we want them to be the best that they can be. The same is true in our spiritual life. We are always to be disciples. We're always to be students. We're always to be learning. And God the Father, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, says to us, here's how that applies to your life, and here's how you make that a part of who you are. I'm teaching you these things so you can be all that I want you to be. I'm teaching you these things so I can mold you and shape you into the very image of Jesus who walked this earth. You need to love like Him, and you need to be like Him. And that's why I teach you these things. Some people have said that John 10.10, the verse that I've quoted for you this morning, is kind of the anchor, it's kind of the middle, it's kind of the, the, the most important part of, of, of the Gospel of John. John 10, Jesus says, I came to give you eternal life and I came to give you an abundant life while you're here on earth. And John chapter 1 through John chapter 12 is all about eternal life. It's all about Jesus offering Himself. It's about Jesus being God. It's about Jesus being living water. It's about Jesus being the bread of life. It's about Jesus being the, the, the way, the truth, and the life. It's about eternal life. John 1 through 12, He says, I am God, I am God, I am God. No one comes to the Father but by Me. But John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, those five chapters are all about how Jesus came to give us life that is abundant and meaningful. And we see in those, those five chapters, we see Jesus teaching us about loving and we see Him teaching us about serving. And He shows us and He teaches us, here's how you experience joy, true joy, not like the world gives, but only I can give you this kind of joy. And, and, and He teaches us, here's how you can know peace. And He teaches us about forgiveness. And He teaches us about heaven. These five chapters, I think, in my personal opinion, are the most relevant chapters in all of the Bible. And they're for us today. And He teaches us how we can experience abundant life, a full life, a meaningful life in these chapters. The 13th chapter of John, we need to understand the context of this passage of Scripture because things have changed from where we were in the 12th chapter. Beginning in the 13th chapter of John, now we're at a place in Jesus' earthly ministry where in less than 24 hours, He would be arrested, that He would be put on trial. Mock trials. That He would be ridiculed, that He would be spat upon, that He would be mocked. And that he would die for our sins. That he would be placed in a tomb. The Bible tells us in John chapter 13 that he knew this. The Bible tells us that he knew that he only had a certain amount of time. That those who he loved the most, that he had invested in the most, that he had given himself to, that had followed him for three and a half years were now gathered around him in John chapter 13. So I would imagine that he chose his words very carefully. What would you do if you knew you only had 24 hours and you were surrounded by those who you loved the most? 
those that loved you, those that trusted you, those that, in a sense, followed you, what would you tell them? What would you do? I want you to understand that this passage of Scripture has great, great, great importance in our life, if for no other reason than the context of the circumstances. He only has 24 hours left, and I believe in the 13th chapter, he teaches us two incredibly, incredibly valuable lessons. The first thing that he teaches us is that we should serve one another. And the second thing that he teaches us is we ought to love one another. This has got to be important. He only has a short time left. He's telling those who would take the baton, take the truth to the world, and he says you ought to love one another. And you ought to serve one another couple of things before we prepare to look at these verses. The first thing that I want you to understand is that Jesus was the greatest leader that ever lived. Yet in this scene that we look at in John chapter 13, we, we see that he's the greatest servant that ever lived. It's important that we recognize that's because leaders and servants are really the same thing. Servants and leaders, it's synonymous. Great leaders are great servers. You cannot lead effectively if you don't serve. Now I'm praying that as the Holy Spirit speaks to you through His Word this morning, that He might show you areas that He has given you the responsibility of leadership. I think every single one of us are leaders. Every single one of us have an opportunity to, to influence and to lead other people. It might be in the home, it might be at the office, it might be in the community. But we all have that opportunity to lead. And we need to understand this morning that if we're going to lead greatly, that we need to learn how to serve. Moms and dads, you know this. Moms, I think you especially know this. That in order to lead your children, that you have to serve them. You teach them. You grow and mature them. Leanne spent the better part of her life serving our son, Will. He knew and appreciated that she was a leader. I remember one time... And I don't know why I can't forget this, but I, I remember a time when Will was only four, maybe five years old. And he looks at me and he says, Daddy, when mom's not home, you're in charge. <laughs> he understood, he perceived that his mom was a leader in our home. Because Leanne spent more time than I did serving Will. You can't be a great leader unless you're a great servant. Now listen, John Maxwell and other leadership gurus would charge you $4,000 just for that. I'll only charge you half. You can make four easy payments. And if you act today, <laughs> we'll make the first payment for you. Leaders serve. 
As a matter of fact, I see in this passage of Scripture here five characteristics of a servant, or should I say a leader. I'm going to ask you to write these things down. Because we're all leaders. You can use the word leader there. You can use the word servant there. They're synonymous. They mean the same thing. I want you to see, first of all, here's the first characteristic. It's found in the very first verse, John chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, this would be the final Passover, the fourth Passover of Jesus' earthly ministry, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And he shows them and demonstrates for them, the Bible says, the full extent of his love. Here's the first characteristic I see about servants or leaders. Number one, they love. They're people who love. They're driven by love. Love is the motivator in their life. Jesus wants to see us today. He wants us to to have a heart today, a desire today to grow in our relationship with Him, to grow in our love for Him. Because he knows that when when we grow in our love for him, that the natural manifestation of that, the outflow of that, is that we will love others. And he knows that love drives serving. Love must drive serving. I want you to kind of embrace this idea this morning. If love is not what's driving your service then what's driving your service is some kind of sense of obligation, some kind of sense of duty, some kind of sense of expectation. And I want you to know this morning, without love, service is nothing more than meeting an obligation. It's nothing more than duty. I'm just doing this because someone expects me to, because I have to. Many of you have experienced this in your life. That gets old after a while. If you're serving your children out of duty, that will get old after a while. But if you're serving them out of love, you will be amazed at what you do for them. Last weekend, Will and I are driving back from Jacksonville, and I am a guy... You know, I'm constantly, how much, how, how am I doing, you know, making good time. And I like to get from point A to point B just as fast as I can, and then I like to tell everybody about it. <laughs> I drove from Jacksonville to Orlando two hours. We're almost back home, and Will goes, Dad, man, whew. you know what sounds good to me? What? Some Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> oh, Will, man, I'm, I'm making good time. Anyway, long story short. We went 30 minutes out of the way so he could have a Krispy Kreme donut. (laughs) Now, I'm amazed that I did that. You want me to tell you what drove that? It wasn't a sense of duty. I didn't have to do that. The guy's got me wrapped around his little finger. (laughs) I love him. To a fault. Last thing he needed was a Krispy Kreme donut. (laughs) Without love, service is merely duty. Without love, service always sours into bitterness. We ask a lot of you here. We ask you to serve. 
We ask you to be involved. And sometimes, to a fault, sometimes we sign up to serve because we feel like we have an obligation to do that. And we make a commitment and we begin to serve. And all of a sudden, we recognize that nobody sees us serving and nobody appreciates the sacrifice that we're making. And it has no value. And it's being driven by this sense of obligation or duty. And you know what happens? We become bitter. It's hard for you to argue with me on this because I've seen it happen time and time and time again. And sometimes we're at fault because we say to people, you know what, you really ought to be in a life group. You really ought to do this. You really ought to do that. You really ought to do this. And you need to help us set up chairs. And you need to do, do this. And these are people that have families and they've got obligations and they've got full-time jobs and, and they begin to work and work and work and work and work and they become bitter and then they're gone. Then they're gone. Because, because serving when it's not driven by love, becomes an obligation and it will turn into bitterness. Pastor Jim sent out an email this past week because he wanted our church family to know what's going on with our Awana ministry. We have a lot more kids than we have workers to serve them. And so he said, just wanted to let you know, we need more workers in Awana. And then I am so grateful that he said, do that if that's what God wants you to do. Ask Him. Don't do it out of obligation. Do it because you love kids. Do it because they are our legacy. Do it because they are the future of the church. Do it because you love them. And if you can do it because you love them, then you will experience incredible joy in your service to them. That's true in whatever God asks you to do. That if we're doing it out of our love for Him, if we're doing it out of our love for others, then we're experiencing what He promised us in John chapter 10 and verse 10. Abundance. A full and a meaningful life, but it has to be driven by love. Real quick, next week we're going to talk about love. And how we grow in our relationship, in our love relationship with God. And I want to give you some specific things because I think we've been doing it wrong. But this is essential. This is one of two things that he teaches in John chapter 13 in this most critical time. You've got to serve one another. You've got to love one another. Don't miss next Sunday because we're going to talk about how we grow in our experience in our love for Jesus. The first thing that I want you to see, this characteristic, is that servants love. That's what drives them. Leaders lead because... They love. Verse 2 through 4, Jesus goes on to give us another characteristic of servanthood. It's that servants work out of this inner strength. In these verses, and I'm going to read them to you, we see some things that Jesus knew. It says, He knew. I'll remind you that in the first verse, it said, He knew that His hour had come. In verse 2, during the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. 
he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He, he began to serve, knowing that his time had come, knowing that God had all authority, knowing about eternity, where he had come from and where he was going to. He stood up and he began to serve. And he served out of strength because servants are strong. True servants, leaders, serve out of position of strength. Strength comes from being secure. It comes from understanding who you are. Verse 1, he says, he knew that his time had come. You know what he's saying there? He knew the direction of his life. He knew the purpose. He knew what his calling was. He was confident in that. This is what God has called me to do. This is why I am here. This is my purpose. Good servants, great servants, great leaders understand that they have a specific calling on their life. And they get strength from that. They derive strength from that. This is why I'm here. This is what God has called me to. This is how He wants to use me. It's a driver in our, in our service. In, 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 in verse 3, Jesus understands that He he serves out of a position of strength because he knows that he's serving a God that has all authority in his hands. He also says, you know what? I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Here's what I take that to mean. That, that, that as a servant, as a leader, he had an eternal perspective. He knew who was in control. He knew his purpose. He knew who was in control. And he had an eternal perspective. And these three things that the Bible says he knew allowed him to serve or lead out of a position of strength. This is really important when, you re, when you're reminded about the context of this. In just a few short hours, he would be arrested, he would be tried, he would be beaten. He knew this. He continued to serve. He continued to lead because he knew why he was there. He knew who was in control. And he had an eternal perspective. If we're going to lead, if we're going to be great leaders, great servants, you've got to know your calling. You've got to know your purpose. You've got to know who's in charge and who's in control. This precious family over in Syria who I pray is still alive at this moment. Maybe they're not. But man, I want to tell you, they seem to have this understanding of their purpose, what God has them, where He has them. They seem to understand that. They seem to understand that God is in control. Honey, if they come to you and they tell you to deny Christ, don't say anything. Just know this. God is in control. They seem to have an eternal perspective. One of the words that we see on this video that Tom sent me is that this mom and dad, they're saying to their children, if you go to sleep and you wake up and, and, and we're not there, know this, the next time that we see you, it'll be in heaven. It'll be with Jesus. They had an eternal perspective. It gave them strength to fulfill their calling, to lead their children to serve. Servants are strong. When love drives us and when we, when we derive strength, it makes, us, it makes us better servants. It makes us better leaders. Here's the third thing. Servants serve in perfect people. I guess this is a really good thing to know from the outset, right? 
verses 5 through 9, it gives us a little bit of an indication of exactly who Jesus was serving. I can tell you this, that if you're committed to serving, if you're committed to being a leader by serving, that you are going to serve people who don't appreciate it, who don't respond the way you want them to respond. Maybe you won't see any change in their life as a result of your service. We ought to recognize this going in. Jesus did. Take a look at who he served that night. The disciples, they had just had the triumphal entry. It looks like the crowd is now on their side. It looks like any time now that Jesus is going to set up his kingdom, they begin arguing among themselves who's going to have the most lofty positions and who's going to be doing what. And I wonder how Jesus felt about that. I think it would be easy for him to get frustrated. I've experienced that before. It would be easy for Jesus to go, when are these guys going to get it for three and a half years? I've poured my life into them and I've told them about, this, about eternity and about salvation. I've told them all this stuff and they're worried about who's going to have the most responsibility in the kingdom. When are they going to get it? What's Jesus' response? It's not one of frustration. It's one of service. He begins to serve the disciples. Judas Iscariot was there. Jesus knew exactly what Judas would do. He gave him a place of honor at the table. He sat right next to Jesus. He washed Judas' feet. He appealed to Judas he loved him, as John 13, verse 1 says. He loved him till the very end. This was not someone who was a follower of Jesus. What about Peter? Peter was there. Jesus washed Peter's feet. Jesus was fully aware because Jesus told Peter, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny you even know me. But Jesus loved them. Jesus served them. Jesus didn't make any kind of differentiation between Judas and Peter and the other ten. He just served them. Because servants serve imperfect people. Who have you been called to serve? Would you recognize from the onset that they probably not going to appreciate you the way you deserve really to be appreciated maybe some of them you won't see a change in their life but that's not what drives us we serve imperfect people servants aren't showy it says to us in verses 10 through 11 you can write that on your notes they're not showy they, they, they don't serve in order to impress they don't serve in order to get the spotlight do you understand that washing feet is about the most humbling thing you can do the king of kings the lord of lords the creator of the world took off his outer garment wrapped his waist in a towel got down on his knees he stooped low by the way in the greek that's what humility means it means to stoop low he stooped low and he began to wash the disciples feet it's not showy 
maybe some of the greatest service is the menial things. You know, I, I, I know this for a fact, what God's perspective is on it. That those who, who show up here, you know, it takes a bunch of people here on Sunday morning to have church. It takes a bunch of people. People in the parking lot, people in the nurseries, people in the foyer, people that have set up chairs, people to make sure the lights are on, make sure the air all that stuff. And I know that God's perspective is this, that the person who's back there right now changing dirty diapers is as valuable, that person's service is as valuable to God as the person who led worship. And that the person who's out there sweating in the parking lot just so people will feel like they're welcome here, their service is just as valuable, maybe more, to God than the person who leads in Bible study and speaks here on the platform. Jesus got on his knees and he washed their feet. We have an opportunity to serve our community. I believe that's why God has put us here. There's a lot of things that aren't going to be real showy. As a matter of fact, they're going to be dirty. But that's how we lead. We serve. I can remember a time as three or four years ago, as Stephanie's here, she could tell you about this time that, that our church made a commitment that we were going to show up, I think, one Saturday every month, and we were just going to walk around and pick up trash. We have opportunities to serve like that in our community. We, we've got to become servants. Why? Why? Well, number one, because that's what Jesus emulated for us. That's what... That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus uh, demonstrated for us. That's, that's how he taught us. But here's another reason why we've got to be servants. Because there's a whole bunch of needs out there. And you know, here's the fifth characteristic. Servants meet needs. That's what they do. They're sensitive to needs. And when they see a need, they seek to meet that need. We talk about love next week. I don't want you to do anything that God doesn't want you to do. I, I really don't. You understand, don't you, that when Jesus walked this earth, that he walked by people who needed healing, but he did not heal them? Why? Father didn't tell him to. I want us to serve in areas where we're directed to serve. We have a relationship with God. He says, here's what I want you to do. But, but servants meet needs. I, I, I think of two needs in this context, in this 13th chapter that Jesus met. Number one, there was a spiritual need. Obviously, these disciples were full of pride. Who's going to serve? Who's going to be number one? And so Jesus meets their spiritual need by serving. It, they had a physical need too, right? They had dirty feet. How practical is that? They needed their feet washed. Jesus saw the need. And He met the need. What is, what is washing feet today? What is washing feet in Avalon Park? What is washing feet in, in August of 2015? It's doing something to meet someone's 
need. That's washing feet. It's preparing a meal. It's mowing a lawn. It's picking up trash. Setting up chairs. Offering a ride to somebody. Spending time with somebody who's lonely. Talking with somebody who's hurting. You know what? If I knew somebody who had a need to rewire their house, I can't help them. I don't have any idea how to do that. I wouldn't know where to start. I don't know what a wire is. But you know what? I can sit with a dad whose wife has just died. I can serve him. I can talk to a single parent. I know what that's about. What can you do? I don't know how this community perceives us. Maybe I'm not sure I want to know. But it would be okay with me if someone described us this way. I don't know what they do there on Sunday, but I know this. They love people. And they serve people. That's all I know. There will be 700 in this auditorium this morning. Another 200 kids back here. And what if 700 of us said, you know what? Jesus, I want to lead by serving. Tell me what you want me to do. I give myself away so you can use me. What if 700 of us said that to Jesus? I want to thank Michael Higgins, member of our church, for his love and how it's demonstrated. Michael Higgins called me a couple of weeks ago. I had lunch with him and Scott Puckett, who is the pastor of Christ Kingdom Church, church that meets in, in uh, Waterford, because Mike had met a lady that lives in his neighborhood that has great, great need. She's disabled. She lives by herself. Her house is falling apart. There's hardly any running water. Half the electricity's out. The homeowner's fixing to kick her out of the neighborhood. She has no money. She has nobody to help her. One of the questions that Mike asked her when he met her and was learning a little bit about her needs was, has Oh, have you, have you been to any churches? And you know what she said? She goes, yeah, I, 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 I've been to some churches, but they only want to help their members. Well, she doesn't go to church anywhere. She doesn't have a relationship with God. And Mike just felt like, as a matter of fact, he said to me, Dale, this was a Holy Spirit thing. The Holy Spirit said, you've got to get involved. And Mike has spent a lot of hours, and he's gone to Lowe's, and they've they have donated a lot of materials. They said they would give him up to $4,000 of materials at, at, at their cost. And he's located plumbers, and they've donated their time, and a roofer is going to come and fix her roof. And, and, and there's a bunch of other stuff. He spent the weekend over there this past weekend digging a ditch so that her draining would be better. And that's serving. Does he have to do that? No. If he didn't do that, would we know any different? No. He's got a house, I'm sure, that could use a little sprucing up. He's got family that I'm sure would love to spend a little bit more time with their husband and with their dad. 
What if I had 700 mics? We could change this community. We could turn it upside down. Pastor Jim will tell you as we dismiss our service this morning, Mike has brought this to us. We say we want to be a partner with you in that. We gave him a table in the lobby this morning. He's handing out flyers to tell you a little bit about Darlene is her name, her needs. And But here's the thing that touched my heart. He showed me this morning a text that Darlene sent him. And it said this, I don't know God, but I see Him in you. I want to know Him. That's what it said. Mike gave her a little video, the Do You Believe video or whatever it's called. Would you believe? You know. She's watched that. What a leader. Let me invite you to stand. Everybody standing. Here's how I started. I started by telling you the passage of Scripture that we studied this morning has been a great conviction to me. Conviction is when the indwelling Holy Spirit reveals to me areas of my life that He wants to change. I said, I hope it's convicting to you. Has the Holy Spirit revealed anything to you at all? These next few minutes that we spend together, and it's really just a few minutes, is your opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you. Ask Him to seal into your heart decisions that you make for Him. We don't serve out of obligation. It's an outpouring of love that we have for Him and as a result for others. It's a position of strength because we know our purpose. We know who's in control. We have an eternal perspective. We know we're going to serve imperfect people. We're not doing it to be showy. Lord Jesus, I give myself away so you can use me. I don't know why that's so hard for me to do. But this morning, I recommit myself to You. I give myself away so You can use me. And that, I pray, is the heart of hundreds in this place today.